really bad. There was a spider in the bathroom this morning. And I asked Franz to kill it and he said no. So I said, well, I guess it lives there now. <laughs> I guess he moved in. We've got a new roommate. But then when I went back in, it was in the bathtub, so I drowned it. <laughs> oh, good. Perfect. That's the best way to do it. Yep. It took a long time. It was like a daddy long legs. It took a long time. Which I feel bad because daddy long legs are like good spiders. Yes. They're the good, the good glitch. But like, Bubba, you got to go in a corner where I can't touch you and you can't right. touch me. And then you can live there peacefully, like a corner of a ceiling. You can live up there. That's fine. But yeah, you can't be like crawling around doing no. stuff. Being a weirdo. <laughs> With your butt rope. <laughs> With your butt rope. Gross. <laughs> That'd be really weird though if humans had like <laughs> a butt rope. A butt rope. Like <laughs> if we could do what spiders did. And <laughs> I mean, we would be like insane at gymnastics. Yeah. Gymnastics and we could like climb really so high. Cool. Well, we would be Spider-Man. Yeah. Although but he like, doesn't he doesn't have a butt. <laughs> it's not from his butt, it's from his wrists. They were trying to be like. <laughs> Stanley was like, well, it can't come out his butt. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it could, but <laughs> might not might lose some viewers. <laughs> Especially because he's like a 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> the story of an orphan. He's 16. He's 16 and he shoots <laughs> rope out of his butt and swings from buildings from it. <laughs> And it'd also be really hard to like aim where you're going. <laughs> you just swing into someone's apartment. If they made a movie that was that, I would watch the shit out of it. Like a like a I would movie. Yeah. <laughs> like a... Called Spider Boy or something. It also kind of sounds like it would be a really weird porn. Yeah. <laughs> but... Oh yeah. Uh... <laughs> Welcome to Mr. Reticle, where we take a theoretical approach to solving mysteries. I'm Lynn. And I'm JP. And today we're doing part two-ish of JP's last episode, Ecclesiastics 12. We'll be discussing the death of Danny Casalero and my favorite cephalopod, the octopus. Ceph- I just wanted to use the word cephalopod. <laughs> okay, but that's like the species? It's the scientific word for like oh, got octopus, it. cuttlefish, and like... Cut off this squid because they do the changing color thing that like um, octopus, some octopus do, and some squid do. Yeah, yeah, and sounds so sweet. They're weird looking, they're like little, and their mouths are like this, like little tentacles, like this. Huh. And then they have little bug eyes, they're cute, but they're weird. Yeah, well, there you go. Love it, love a science lesson in the morning. <sighs> You're welcome. <laughs> really quick, this month is obviously super busy because it's pride month and native american history month and on top of remembering the tulsa massacre and juneteenth there's like so many things that we could obviously talk about but since juneteenth is either the day i post this or like it's two days from i don't i think juneteenth is a saturday okay so it's like the week of juneteenth yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about it a little yeah i have a little history lesson yay Okay, so obviously I'm like not the right person to be giving away this message, but I'm going to anyway. Well, we have um, a platform. And yeah, use exactly. Education. Exactly. So Juneteenth is a holiday celebrating the emancipation of slaves in the United States. It's a, it originated in Galveston and celebrated on the 19th of June every year. Uh, Galveston's in Texas, by the way. I knew that. Um, <laughs> I spoke to my family rented a house down there once and I was apparently friends with the ghosts that were in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Um, I camped on the beach there once. It was sorry. Right. <laughs> Juneteenth commemorates uh, June 19th of 1865 when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas to take control of the, um, of the state of Texas and ensure that all enslaved people were free. It came two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed 
uh, which was on January 1st, 1863. It honors the end, quote unquote, end of slavery in the United States, even though slavery is still alive today in different forms. But not the police. Prisons. Even though the Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1863, enslavers from the Confederate States moved to Texas and viewed it as a safe haven for slavery. So that's why. I um, love that. Yeah, that was like the end of it. That's cool. Yeah. Did you know that pirates freed slaves? Um, I feel like I read about that a little bit. Um, and then they like gave them weapons and they were like, hey, attack these ships that were like the English. And then the oh, people damn. on the English ships would be like, oh, shit, it's them. And we they have guns. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I just learned that. I thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. I have a little bit of housekeeping before we get going. Do it. Um, I was talking to my friend about Tesla and she was like, yeah, but he was into eugenics and like a master race. And I was like, cool. <laughs> so just, just putting out there that like, yeah, he was brilliant, but not everyone's perfect. <laughs> so maybe that's why he was a racist. I don't know. I kind of wondered that. Like I kind of looked it up, but I didn't write. I literally just wrote Tesla was into eugenics and I didn't write anything else. So I didn't fully like dive in, but. We should look into that and do mm-hmm. a big correction. Well, and then there was like the whole thing about um, his potential ties to like the Communist Party, although I don't think he was tied to the Communist Party. I think it was just because of where he was from. But yeah, and he had family in like the Yugoslavian government, but I don't think he actually had ties. So yeah, I don't know. No one's no one's perfect. <laughs> no. So why I chose this case. Because no. JP brought it up <laughs> in our last episode, and I was and we curious. were so intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> so before you listen to this episode, if you haven't listened to the last one, you should go back. Like you don't have to. No, you could listen to them in reverse order. I think. Right. I don't think it really matters, but you should because I'm gonna see how it kind of like is involved, and I'm yeah. not getting into like any details about yours. So if you're curious, go back to the last episode. And listen to that one. Yeah. Before, after, whenever. So, who was Danny Castellaro? Joseph Daniel Danny Castellaro was born on June 16th, 1947 in McLean, Virginia. Love a Gemini. (laughs) He liked Tom Waits, Randy Newman, and was known for making people feel like they were best friends. And I wrote, sincerely. Well, maybe not because Geminis are like personality chameleons and it's kind of freaky. Yeah, and he also was... (laughs) Wasn't he an investigative reporter? So maybe there was a little bit of manipulation on there. And <laughs> but I think like everything I read that was like from his friends, it didn't, it sounded real. Genuine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, not all Geminis are, I mean, you're part Gemini. <laughs> yeah, so, I know. <laughs> and I love, and I love Gemini. <laughs> but you do have a weird way of like conforming to the group of people you're with when it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Freaks me out. <laughs> Anyway, he was caring, loving, and a ball of fun to, like, everybody. He liked amateur boxing. He wrote poems, short stories, and he loved raising Arabian horses. Which I thought was, he sounds sweet. Yeah. Yeah. His father was an obstetrician, and he was one of seven children. One brother had died at the age of one due to a heart defect, and a sister wound up dead at 17 due to drug use. And according to his brother, Tony who is a doctor, the instances around her death made Danny very angry and he took it really hard. Yeah. He graduated from Providence College, married a former Miss Virginia and was granted custody of their son when they got divorced. Danny was an American freelance writer just trying to do his job and he stumbled into a big case, but his proof was never exposed due to his death on August 10th, 1991. I was two years old. (laughs) No days. Two days, yeah. Days, days. Like not I was even. Five. <laughs> I was born at like 10 p.m. So I was like barely, barely two days old. Yeah. So Danny's last day. We're going to kind of go in reverse order. I'm going from like his death to like the stuff leading up to his death. Okay. So if you listen to our last episode, you already know some of the weirdness involved with his actual death because you talked about it. Yeah. But in case you haven't. Although if you have, like, still listen, because I go into way more detail than JP did. For sure, yeah. So a week before Danny's death, he spoke with his brother, Tony, about how he was receiving death threats. 
warnings from people he knew and strange phone calls from people he didn't. He was planning a trip to Martinsburg, West Virginia to meet with a few of his informants and to obtain some key evidence for the case he had been researching for the past year. He told his brother that if something were to happen to him, that they shouldn't believe it was an accident. Danny arrived in Martinsburg on August 8th. The day before Danny's death, he met with a William Turner. Turner was a former employee of a major, so like according to Unsolved Mysteries, he was a former employee of a major defense contractor. But I'm going to talk about him later. Okay. Within 24 hours of this meeting, a hotel maid went into Danny's room, number 517, around 12 o'clock in the afternoon at the Sheraton Inn in Martinsburg, West Virginia. What she found was a sight to behold. And honestly, I don't know if you found them. I found the crime scene photos, which there aren't many. I've heard about them, but I have not seen them. Okay, well, I, I'm, I put them in my like references, so they'll be on the reference page, but I'm not going to like put them Post on Instagram them. or anything. Yeah, so no. if you want to look, go to our link tree and our like yeah. references page, it will be there. If not, don't even, they're kind of gross, yeah. to be honest. Anyway. And trigger warning, I'm about to talk about suicide. Mm. So just that's all. Blood was splattered on the walls and the floor of the bathroom. Danny was naked in the bathtub and his wrists had been slit 12 times, eight on his left and four on his right. I believe that you mentioned that some of the cuts were really deep. Um, And in the photos, they had a measuring tape Mm -hmm. and some of them were really long. One was five inches across. I think a couple were five inches across. One cut was deep enough to sever a tendon. <clears throat> I have a science question. Do you think your other tendons roll up like your Achilles rolls up? You or know, I think that it might just be the Achilles. I'm sure they do like some sort of like. Because they're so you know? tight. So they right. must. So I'm sure they do some sort of contraction. But I think like the Achilles is like the tightest. Yeah. I mean, the, the longest. I don't know. David will correct us. Willie. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. They found several things under Danny's body or like in the tub or in the bathroom. I don't know. Yeah. A Milwaukee beer beer can was under his foot. Two white plastic. In the tub? Yes. I've seen the picture. It's literally like under. So it's like where the drain is. There's a can and then his foot's on top of it. There were two white plastic liner. So like the crime scene photos there were literally pictures of his wrist one of his face and then the picture of his foot okay that was it hmm. but like it's fine so none of the room none of right. like anything else the scene yeah yeah and they were all and uh, like if you do go look at them they're like really grainy they're not like vibrant well yeah pictures. I mean, the they're 90s. like copy they're like copy pick copied or scanned from like an mm-hmm. actual picture so they're not like the worst but the cuts are pretty hard to look at um i did it for you you're welcome thanks (laughs) there was also two white plastic liner trash bags and one single edge razor blade nearby was a half empty bottle of wine in the bedroom there was a legal pad and a pen on the desk one single page had been torn from the pad with danny's suicide note which you mentioned it's please forgive me for the worst possible thing i could have done most of all, I'm sorry to my son. I know deep down inside that God will let me in. On top of this very little evidence, they found four more razor blades still in their envelopes in a small package, a prescribed bottle of painkillers prescribed in 1988 for a root canal, which like, why would you still have those? Yeah. Because <laughs> wouldn't they be expired? I don't know. I know that a lot of people like will store things like that so that maybe they don't have to go to the doctor again like if they yeah. like, oh I hurt myself and I need you know yeah but it's also like wouldn't it expire it's 1991 yeah I don't, know. I don't know though how long it takes for them to expire they found an absence of a struggle no sign of forced entry in the presence of and presence of alcohol they found an absence of a struggle there was no signs of forced entry and the presence of alcohol And there was a presence of alcohol. I just wrote it really bad. So the Martinsburg police deemed it a suicide and contacted the police in Fairfax, Virginia, which I think is where he lived so that they could notify his family. Yeah. And yes, we also have questions. So hold on to your socks. Crazy shit. Number one, embalming autopsy and some downright fuckery. (laughs) 
No one believed that Danny was suicidal. He was about to break a huge conspiracy theory case that he enthusiastically spoke about shortly before his death. And like, as we know, depression can come in many forms. And just because someone doesn't seem suicidal doesn't mean that they aren't. So please check on your friends. And if you or any of your loved ones are struggling with suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. It's free and it's also confidential. So please reach out to them if you need to, or any loved ones help is there. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to mention that he was like enthusiastic because usually when you're planning on committing suicide, you don't like make plans. Do you know what I mean? Like he had something to look forward to. So friends also claim that that's not the way Danny would have chosen to go. One article said he would have jumped off a building covered in fireworks. And I was like, that's fabulous. Like you're going to go make it make it big. (laughs) Yeah. Um, one of his ex-girlfriends who dated him for seven years and lived with him for a time claimed that he hated the sight of blood. Additionally, he didn't like to be seen naked. So to be found in a tub naked, that's not Danny. Yeah. So Danny died on August 10th, which was a Saturday. That's my sister's birthday. Happy birthday, Mm -hmm. Jamie. Oh, it's two days after mine. Yeah. He was brought to the funeral home in Martinsburg on that day, on the 10th. And he was embalmed on Sunday, the 11th. His family was notified of his death on Monday, the 12th. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I told you, fuckery. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm just surprised. Like usually the family's notified right away. Mm -hmm. They also have to give permission to embalm somebody. Yeah. And it's not, and he registered. He didn't like pay cash with an anonymous name or anything. He registered under his name. Yeah. He wasn't in his wallet, was in his room and stuff. Like he wasn't an unidentified person. Right. So when Danny's mother was finally contacted, she called her son Tony and said, Danny's dead. They killed him. Tony called the authorities to be like, I'm sorry, is that normal to bomb a body without her permission? And they said no, and that they would look into it, but obviously nothing. Yeah, nothing came after came that. The West Virginian authorities made an inquest for an autopsy. And I questioned it because I was like, can you give an autopsy if the body's been embalmed? American Forensics claims that an autopsy can be performed on a body that has been embalmed. However, it is preferable for it to be on an unembalmed body after proper refrigeration. If there is a delay that is longer than seven days between the death and the autopsy, then embalming is recommended so that you can preserve the body tissues, but it also interferes with most of the toxicology reports, mm-hmm. like all the fluid that they use or whatever. Yeah. I don't know the process of embalming. Sounds gross. Yeah. So an autopsy was performed on August 14th. So he was already embalmed. His parents had just learned about it two days before, and it's been four days. Mm-hmm. The autopsy report was released on August 30th, 1991. It reported that there were traces of an antidepressant and a prescription painkiller in his system. Okay. His brother, Tony, claimed that he didn't know of Danny being depressed or even being treated for depression, which doesn't mean he wasn't. Right. So, um, but he was a doctor. So it was like, maybe he would have gone to his brother for a prescription anyway. I don't know. Yeah. The autopsy report also stated that Danny died due to blood loss one to four hours before he was found. So he died somewhere between 8 a.m. and 1 a.m. Yeah. 12 12 a.m. 12 p.m. (laughs) Well, it might be 1 a.m. if it was like 830 or something. 9, 10, 11, 12. He was found at like 12, but yeah. Yeah. And there was evidence that he may not have been alone in the hotel room. He had a bruise on his arm and one on his head, which were never accounted for. And three tips of his fingernails were missing from one hand, which we said in your episode, defense wounds. The hotel room was cleaned the day after his death by a professional cleaning crew. And they got rid of important evidence, which like, I kind of get, because if you do think it's a suicide, you wouldn't leave it. It's not a crime scene, but that's fast. (laughs) That's really fast, especially like you can't leave it up for a couple days. So you at least do an autopsy and make sure it was an actual like be thorough. Mm-hmm. The day before the cleaning crew came in, one of the housekeepers noted two bloody towels under the sink in the bathroom. And it appears that they were used to wipe blood off of the bathroom floor. This has never been addressed by authorities. Oh. 
I didn't know about that. I know you I've I kind of okay so I like because I didn't edit the episode yet I did look through your script because I was like what did he talk yeah. about <laughs> but yeah isn't that interesting very and that was two days before it was cleaned but after they found his body right that was after they found so they found the towels after they the day that they found his body the housekeepers found his towels wow but they cleaned it the day after that yeah because the professional mm. cleaning clue was like an outside it wasn't like the police because the police don't fucking clean shit no like, it's a third party yeah they just hired like a cleaning crew and they came in and cleaned so they weren't looking at anything or being suspicious you know they're just doing their job right so but still like did they report that to the police or not I think right the housekeepers away? did yeah also the police claimed that they thought the family had been notified of danny's death y'all had one job and you can be so spectacular at fucking it up sometimes <laughs> yeah really sure crazy shit number two through whatever the fuck authorities i keep i'm writing more swears into my script i don't do it on purpose I'm just getting more angry <laughs> crazy shit i already said that authorities did not release danny's suicide note to his family right away they also retained his wallet and one source says his brief briefcase, but put a pin in that. So what about all these papers and documents? Did I mention those? I mean, he was yeah. investigating a case, so he would have had yeah. stuff. He had stuff, yeah. Tony says that he asked about Danny's papers and documents, like asked the police after his death um, that should have been in his room with him, but the police said that there were none. The police also drained the bathtub without blocking the drain. Again, the fuck, guys. <laughs> I mean, I get like needing to drain the water because the water is going to damage the body. Whomever. So, okay. I guess like this is, uh, I don't remember the name of the town. But what I'm talking about right now, Martinsburg. Martinsburg, right. I almost cut it Westminster. I don't know why. Martinsburg, West Virginia, West Virginia in general is a very, very, very like, it's not a very heavily populated area. There's no major cities or anything there. So, it makes me feel as though like maybe this was like their first case, not first, but like one of the only cases of like a mysterious death or like, and definitely not their first suicide. So they probably were like, oh, suicide, boom, boom, yeah. done. Like, like yeah. let's get it over with, you know? Yeah. And didn't really like see all of the evidence laid out before them and how mysterious it was. Like, that's the only kind of excuse I have for their behavior. Yeah. Right. Like they weren't. So tired. Inexperienced. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could see that for sure. So another autopsy was performed in January 1992. So now you have the embalming and all of this time. This one was performed by a Dr. Frost with the Virginia State Medical Examiner's Office. It was returned with a suicide verdict, blood loss as the cause of death, evidence of early stages of multiple scler sclerosis. But again, it was like early, not, he probably didn't even know he had it. Um, and toxicology reports uncovered traces of antidepressants, acetaminophen, and alcohol, none of which was enough to prevent him from fighting off an assailant or to be the cause of death. But how can you, that doesn't that fade with time? Yeah. Like the amount that's in your system. Yeah, but I think when you diet, like pauses. I don't know though. Liver deterioration. I'm making that up. I have no idea. At Danny's funeral, a highly decorated military officer arrived in a limo accompanied by a plain clothed man. Clothed man. Plain clothes man. The military man placed a medal on the casket lid before it was lowered into the ground. His family didn't know who they were, and they asked everyone attending the funeral if they did, and no one knew who they were. Did they ask the military? How do you, who do you call? <laughs> Ghostbusters. No. Um, <laughs> I, I think like you can call and be like an um, office. Yeah, because like every action of the military is tracked, isn't it? Mm. Like, especially like official. And so if you're going to give a medal to someone right. that is deceased, it's got to be recorded somewhere. Right. And who gave them the medal? Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they did. They probably didn't think that way. They probably like tried to inquire but obviously like there's not really the internet really like big back then right so you don't know how to research like who do i call and stuff like that right 
<laughs> yeah, you just got to grab the yellow page. <laughs> yeah. Look at the US Army and <laughs> call them out. So, octopus, octopi, and octopodes. All are correct. <laughs> no. Octopuses, octopi, and octopodes are all absolutely correct ways to say multiple octopuses. <laughs> I've gotten into arguments about that. I'm like, it's a Greek word. It's actually octopodes. <laughs> anyway, do we all think it was suicide? I definitely do not. And JP's shaking his head with his rice cakes. Let's talk about <laughs> motive and what made Danny a potential target for this kind of murder. Okay. So a brief look at his career in general. Danny worked as a freelance writer and had written and published one novel, The Ice King, before his death, a fiction novel. Oh, I was like, oh. His stories typically appeared in Home and Auto, El Dorado News Times, and Media Horizons. Danny freelanced out of his home for several years, but in the 1970s, he acquired a company that produced specialized newsletters in which Danny was the only writer. But he sold that company in 1989. He did work for the new owners for a minute, but then left due to difficulty in becoming like transitioning from employer to employee. After leaving this job, he searched for a new one and he didn't find one, but he did begin investigating a case on his own, which became his obsession, which is INSLA, which is what you started talking about. Right. So INSLA Inc. was based in Washington, D.C. and was an information technology company that markets case management software for corporate and government users. I honestly wrote that at like 1 a.m. I don't really know what it means. I think it's just like programming. Yeah. So the only thing I can think of is that maybe it's um, like a software where it's very secure and it also like holds. So if you're investigating a case, maybe it holds right. all of the case information. Right. Um, and then like any other government agency or uh, high security corporation, if they are involved, like a third party corporation that's involved in the case can like access it and review it. That makes sense. It was owned by a Bill and Nancy Hamilton. And INSLA is known for developing the Promise Program, which is prosecutors management information system, which was just an early case management software system. So I think it's just exactly what you were saying. Yeah. According to the court file, INSLA at the time of Promise's development was a nonprofit and relied on a variety of public funding to develop Promise, which was to be a public domain. However, they eventually turned into a for-profit company and continued to develop Promise. So there was like different stages of this program too. The U.S. government bought Promise from the Hamiltons, which forced INSLA into a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The Hamiltons accused them of stealing, but the government claimed they made the program when Bill was working for them. So I think Bill worked for like the Department of Justice or something, something like that. Yeah. Uh, before, before INSLA became a thing. Yeah. We're going to talk a whole lot about the Department of Justice in this one. The Hamiltons told Danny about the illegal selling of their software and sued the United States Department of Justice in 1986. INSLA won the lawsuit in court, but it was overturned in the appeal. And honestly, it was like 12 years of yeah. court and crazy, crazy allegations and stuff. So basically, INSLA accused the Department of Justice in conspiring to steal their software to drive them into Chapter 11 liquidation and use the stolen software for covert intelligence operations against foreign governments and involvement in a murder. <laughs> like, I feel like they were just like, we're going to say they did murder. We're going to say they did. This. Yeah, they Not grasped they everything. Didn't, but like right. the allegations were sometimes super trivial and sometimes they were super outlandish and weird. These accusations were rejected by the special counsel in the Court of Federal Claims. Several lawsuits later, the Hamiltons bring in Michael Riconosciuto. So who's Michael Riconosciuto, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Riconosciuto was an electronics and computer expert, and according to Unsolved Mysteries, he worked for the CIA. Okay. He's questionable. Um, according to Wikipedia, he was an engineer in Contra Costa County, which you know Paul Holes you've heard that those words together eight million times yeah Reconoshito was arrested in 1991 on drug charges or drug charges which led to a trial in 1992 for manufacturing meth 
Oh, shit. His arrest was shortly after signing an affidavit in support of Insla's lawsuit against the U.S. Department of Justice. Mm. He claimed to have created a secret backdoor in the Promise Program to allow tracking. He also claimed to be threatened with prosecution by, the justi- by a Justice Department official. So, like, he's saying that he worked for the CIA and he, like, has receipts and knowledge of this of himself creating this backdoor in the promise program that the cia used in like covert right shit (laughs) but then he was charged with drug charges for making meth right he did have a lab like a laboratory not a dog Mm -hmm. but claimed it was extracting precious metals from like platinum which was a practice of his i guess and if you think back real quick Mm -hmm. To the Chuck Morgan episode, Chuck Morgan was um, like doing big sales with platinum and oh, he was I forgot yeah about that. Uh-huh. gold, right? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, all the ties just but wait. it was like alleged, you know. So yeah. it might not. Well, I mean, this is, is also alleged. alleged this, so <laughs> this guy sounds a little nuts, to be honest. But maybe he's not. I don't know. Yeah. The Department of Energy claimed that no, I think it's them. They just wrote DOE and I, yeah, that's the only one I could find that kind of made sense. They claimed that no contamination was found at the lab site, but they found high barium levels, which wouldn't be related to Reconoshuto's work at the mine that he worked for in Maricopa, but it is a special, has a specialized usage in the processing of platinum metals, which is what he said he was doing in his lab. He claims to remember seeing unauthorized use of Insla software. I already said that. Uh, when he worked for the CIA, he specifically remembered seeing it in Nicaragua and the Middle East. He also claims to have the receipts for those operations and their use of Insla. So he's like interesting, but he's also sketchy as fuck. So I don't know. Take him with a grain of salt. All in all, what does this have to do with Danny? It's all a little thing that he called the octopus. So before I get into a brief description of the octopus itself, which will be brief because, again, it's, it's a whole another other episode. It's yeah. huge. I would like to state that Danny as a person was empathetic. He was well-loved and was very open and extroverted. He liked to make people feel good and would joke and laugh, but never at another person's expense, which was just like a sweet thing. He did smoke cigarettes and liked a beer, but never drank a ton and is believed he never, ever picked up a joint, ever. However, he was in debt, nothing dire, just normal struggles with mortgage payments and the like. He was unemployed at the time. So I think it was just, but he had like, he was very close with his family and his family, like his brother was a doctor. He could have borrowed money at any point. But this was also like, I don't know when the Gulf War was, but this was like around that time too, in the nineties, you know? So, and I know that typically after a war, we go into like a short, yeah, economic depression. And so he, and I know that during that time, that was like one thing that was going on. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I could see that. But he could like, at, he wasn't like stuck with nowhere right. to turn. Right. So it was nothing desperate enough that could be a potential suicide motive is basically what his friends and family are saying. So Danny fell down this rabbit hole and what should he find there? Not Alice, not a rabbit and not a bottle that says drink me, but he did find an octopus. An octopus. Ew, imagine going in a hole finding an octopus. <laughs> just like comes out because it can go into a really tiny hole and then just it? like bleh. oh as long as it every time i say this fact people get so shocked as long as its beak can fit through the hole yeah it can fit but people are always like i'm sorry did you say beak and i'm like yeah like a bird beak <laughs> that's what its fucking mouth is <laughs> it can still like break apart like mollusks and stuff yeah yeah they can also walk on land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're so weird. I love mm-hmm. octopus. I love them. I think they're the coolest animal. Anyway, the octopus was what Danny dubbed a sea of covert operations, operatives, super surveillance software, and spies. He called the, it the octopus because its creepy tentacles were all over the place. Like, just like, ugh. It basically consisted of a group of U.S. intelligence veterans that came together to manipulate world events for the sake of consolidating and extending power. It goes everywhere from the Kennedy assassination to Fidel Castro to different political upheavals in Angola, Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Nigeria, Chile, Iran, and Iraq. 
He also believed it was involved with putting Ronald Reagan in the White House, which is also known as the October Surprise, and the introduction of the Promise software into police systems all over the world. Mm -hmm. The point of the CIA using the Promise software was because they reverse engineered it to use it as a tracking software to keep eyes on the Viet Cong, E. Howard Hunt, Bernard Baker, who they both later emerged as Watergate burglars. Yeah. Earl Bryan, who was a crony of Reagan's Attorney General Ed Meese. And according to Danny, Meese used the U.S. Department of Justice to steal Promise from the Hamiltons. Two congressional committees later agreed that Inslaw was the legal owner of Promise when the U.S. Department of Justice took it and Earl Bryan profited off of, off of it by selling it to the Mounties, Interpol, and the Mossad yeah. and other international police agencies. And don't forget the military. Yeah. Whew. Promise also had the ability to track Soviet subs near Iceland. Um, with the proper coding, Promise could also interface other databases so that you could track criminals and specifically political dissidents. Anyway, that's a whole episode by itself. <laughs> that's my brief on what the octopus is. Okay. <sighs> so, a neat little bow. Maybe. Unsolved mysteries state that a William Turner who worked for some defense department had information that involved corruption. Wikipedia says that he was an engineer at Honeywell, which is a multinational conglomerate that operates in aerospace building technologies, performance materials and technologies and safety and productive productivity solutions. That's one of those jobs that like you say where you work and people go, cool, what do you do? And then you explain it. They go, uh-huh. I have no idea what you do still. <laughs> still don't get it. And then yeah. I saw somewhere else that he used to work for Hughes Air, Air Base or something. Okay, I have heard of that. I don't know why, but I have heard of like yeah. Hughes Air. There know. was, oh, did I already, did I write that or did I delete it? Hang on. I found like a thing about a William Turner that was like an Air Force. He works for the Department of Defense, even to this day, um, that was in America in 1991 but it's not the same guy. And they, I think they like interviewed William Turner. So I think it's not the same, but I did find that information. I thought it was interesting because I was like, maybe they're wrong and maybe it's this guy, but this guy also like testified. Can't testify if there's no court case, but you know, right. like gave information. Um, so it was deposed or whatever. Yeah. So he's the one that gave Danny those papers the day before he died. Mm. Danny was also receiving hard copy printouts of IRS information on specific targets that he had in mind. Mm. Before his death, Danny was involved with some horrible people in the crime world, of which he tried to explore all on his own. He kind of became like a recluse in his year-long investigation. He got like more quiet and I would be stressed. Yeah. <laughs> it was me. During all of this, there was another affidavit submitted by Reconosciuto on March 21st, 1991, which is before Danny died that the modifications took place at the Cabazon Indian Reservation near Indio, California, which is where Coachella is in case anyone wants to like, mm. no, there's also nothing else out there. Um, yeah, at all. Besides the reservation, like, there's literally, you want to talk about food desert? They definitely live in one. Which makes the intervention of law enforcement problematic due to it being on a sovereign territory. Now, I only bring this up because I found an article about Rachel Belgley's Belgies, I don't know how to say her name, hunt for her father's killer. This is another rabbit hole. Like there are more, we could do part three and part four of this whole I thing. was just thinking that. <laughs> so feel free to dive into this one if you want. I just have a brief. So on July 1st, 1981, three bodies were discovered behind a house on Bob Hope Drive in Indio, California. The bodies were in a semicircle on chairs and beds that were dragged into the yard. The bodies were of the house's owner, Fred Alvarez, his girlfriend, Patricia Castro, and their friend Ralph Boger. They had been killed with, by a single 38 caliber shot to the head. There were a few clues and no witnesses. Boger was Bel Begley's father, or whatever her name is. As an adult, like years later, she typed her father's name into Google since his murder went unsolved and stumbled upon a book called The Octopus, Secret Government and the Death of Danny Castellaro. The book tied the triple murder to the octopus, which became an obsession of her own. Maybe another case for another episode. Super interesting. So this yeah. was tied to the octopus, but another like shoot off of the octopus. Mm -hmm. So right now we have Danny Casalaro, which is a shoot off of the octopus. Mm -hmm. This case. Inslaw. Inslaw. 
Chuck Morgan is another like spider off of uh-huh. Danny Castellaro. <laughs> Using butt rope? <laughs> Using butt rope. Dang. Yeah. So um, someone was almost tied to these murders, but it was never like officially proven. Yeah. Another was charged, but the charges were dropped due to insufficient evidence. And that guy's super interesting, like super interesting. Hmm. Like I listened to a, I watched like a video that the woman who's, it was her father. She like approached this man and like had her phone like hidden and just, yeah. it was like really hostile, like the way, and it was at like a public event. And he was like, I don't care who I killed. Blah, blah, blah. He's like a priest now or some shit. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, it was super interesting. We're getting there. I feel like four pages left. <laughs> it's a lot. Okay. Yeah. We're going to talk about the briefcase. Okay. Dr. Henry Lee and some other legal shit. <laughs> Love it. So if you are in the true crime world or fan, then we all know about Dr. Henry Lee. He worked on The Staircase, O.J. Simpson, John Bonet, Lacey Peterson, 9-11, JFK, and he is one of the top forensic pathologists in the world. Yeah. Initially, Lee said the evidence presented wasn't inconsistent with suicide. But a few years later, he was given additional evidence, which was the towels Mm -hmm. being used to clean up blood from the crime scene where he withdrew his conclusion because a reconstruction is only as good as the information supplied by the police. Right. So the police had taped a reenactment of Danny's death. The tape wasn't used until later when it was shown to Lee before it was seized by the federal government. There has been like Freedom of Information Act requests for the tape, but it is exempt from release. Hmm. The FBI and the Department of Justice cannot come to a conclusion that the files on Danny Casalaro are withheld or missing. So like some things they'll be like, they're missed. We can't find them. And other things say, no, we can't release them. Right. It's too confidential. You people. Which is it? Mm -hmm. We see you. Mm, Just like you see us. (laughs) Stop it. So the missing briefcase. According to several witnesses, all of the hotel employees who had contact with Danny that were interviewed by the police, a front desk employee mentioned that he had a brown briefcase, a briefcase. The Justice Department claims that all of the police's handwritten notes are still under federal seal. This is still like 30 years later. Yeah. Since only the one employee claims to have seen the briefcase, they decided that the employee was mistaken and they excluded the briefcase from their evidence and just said that it didn't exist and was saying that it didn't exist was then used to undermine William Turner's statement that he gave Danny files about an alleged NSA whistleblower who was murdered only a few months before. He was found beaten to death in the backseat of his car in a parking lot at Washington National Airport on January, in January, 1991. Oh my God. So there's another. I know another um, branch or whatever. (laughs) Another leg of the octopus. (laughs) I think we should call it a spider just so we can say another. The records for this murder were withheld by the FBI, even though it, again, has been over 25 years. Yeah. However, another hotel employee also saw the suitcase. The witness was the last to see Danny alive, and it is stated that she saw him the afternoon of August 9th, standing in the doorway of his room, looking over his shoulders, and he was acting like nervously. She claims she saw a briefcase on the dresser, and it was open with papers sticking out of it. Mm-hmm. A few more things. The FBI lied to Congress and said they were not investigating Danny's death. However, FBI documents reveal that they were investigating it on the very next day after they told the Congress that they weren't investigating Oh my it. gosh. They claimed, seven, which like, okay, it could be a fuck up. You know, there's a lot of people in that office. It can have, it has to happen. There's no yeah. way. There's too many people. They claimed several weeks later, though, to Congress that they could not investigate because no federal law had been broken. And yet they're the ones that sealed the Castellaro file held by the local police and the files required a federal release. So like the files that the police had, they literally can't release them without federal permission. Hmm. But yet they're saying that they can't investigate it because it's not a federal crime. Right. It is also reported later that the FBI was aware of the death threats Danny was receiving, but they expressed little interest. Hmm. 
Although more than half of the FBI agents that looked into Danny's death, which again, if it's not a federal crime, why are you looking at it? Questioned if suicide was the correct conclusion. Over half. I mean, especially with things that he was investigating. So there was like pressure from the higher ups to like say it was suicide. Right. But you're not even involved. Get out. (laughs) WikiLeaks, we need you to get into that. Seriously. The chief suspect. Joseph, I have no idea how to say his name. Hewler. Cuella. Cruella. No, I don't know. He was treated as the main suspect for Danny's death. Okay. Main suspect. Since they thought it was suicide, they didn't really go into it. Right. During the last few weeks of Danny's life, he reported receiving death threats, like I mentioned. His neighbor reported that she was in his house the Monday before he died and she answered the phone. It was normal for her to be there. I don't know if she was like house sitting because he was gone or like taking his dog out. I don't know. Yeah. It also sounded like he liked just having an open house that anyone could use. Like that was his, you know, he was like the hub. Right. For like friends and family and stuff. Like, yeah, if you want to stop by, you can always stop by Danny's for dinner or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so she answered his phone. And a voice whispered a death threat to her. Some believed that some of the death threats were fabricated, but this is according to the BUA report. What does that stand for? BUA? Yeah. When I looked it up, it kept, it brought, it's not what you want it to be. I was like, Bureau. BUA? Yeah. I can't find it. Built up area. See, that's what came up, but that's not it. It has to be like a bureau um, or something. Or blood uric acid, Baptist University of the Americas. I think there's also like Boston University or something. Yeah. Yeah. Business unit agreement. I don't know. But why would they report on? Yeah. See, what I mean, none of them make sense. I don't know. Mm-mm. I don't know who the B- BUA. If anyone knows, please tell us because I'm. It could be like one of the universities. Yeah. If they were doing research on it or something. I don't know. A handwritten note. Okay. So according to this report by whoever they are, Bua, they, she was in his house the Monday before he died. She answered the phone. A death threat was whispered in her ear. Okay. Directed to Danny, obviously. But a handwritten note from the investigation says that she heard them threaten to kill Danny and cut him into pieces and that the call came months before his death. Danny also told her to be careful coming to and from his house. Like he was nervous in general. It should be noted that the BUA report was a lot of, (laughs) has a lot of contradictions and incorrect information, like a lot. Yeah. This confirms that someone else was there because where was his briefcase and where were his papers? And was this the motive to like, Plus, like the bruises and stuff on him mm-hmm. and the towels? Yeah. And OK, 12 times, ta- 12 cuts. You're already bleeding to death. I know why. Right. And you hate blood like it's just it just doesn't. Make sense. No. Joseph Kuehler. No. I believe, dated Danny's ex-girlfriend, Lynn Knowles. Not related to Beyonce Knowles? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> oh my God, what if it ties to them? It doesn't. I doubt it. Kuehler reportedly threatened Danny and gave contradictory alibis. He also reportedly stopped dating Knowles after Danny's death and according to her, threatened her because she was asking too many questions about Danny. Keeler mm. also referenced a man. Okay, how do you? Can I, I can't remember how you pronounce the last name Ng. When? I think so. Yeah, I know that. I want to look it up. I meant to, and I forgot. Ng. 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 If okay. it's Chinese and not Vietnamese, I don't know. Okay. So Keeler also referenced a man named Anson Ng. Hopefully that's right. A Financial Times reporter that was killed in Guatemala. He was also allegedly, the, the reporter was also allegedly looking into the Inslaw affair. Keeler was oh. relieved of any wrongdoing, even though his alibis were contradictory. There is no evidence that his alibis were investigated th- further. I was going to say what his alibis were, but they were written kind of weird. 
it was like he was part of some military something and was like one thing said he was in like Panama and the other thing said he was in Washington but then he was seen in Washington and like the time was funky with like when Danny died and when he was seen I don't know it was kind of messy and confusing so yeah um as is this whole freaking case yeah a few months before Danny's death an FBI agent Thomas Gates who I believe was from the LA Los Angeles field office Hmm. reached out to him to warn him to be careful around Robert Booth Nichols, who Danny had contacted due to his alleged links to promise. Gates had interviewed Nichols at another time while investigating organized crime figures. Nichols had threatened to kill Gates during that time and had also threatened Danny. Nichols was a national security asset who had been compared to a real-life Jason Bourne. He has been noted as a CIA assassin, illegal arms dealer, mob associate, and a con man. He has been linked to Iran-Contra, the October Surprise, and MK Ultra. He's also been noted to have been around the Cabazon Indian Reservation during the murder of Alvarez, Boger, and Castro. Mm. Do you see? You see? Yeah. So I'm like, we could do a whole other episode on this guy. <laughs> like, are you writing these names down? I mean, I have. Uh, they're on the top of my head, so I can like. If you send them to me, I'll add them to our list because I also want to like look at them maybe we can just continue on with this for a little bit right right i would be down i'm down to do like a four four parter (laughs) a one parter turned into a four a four parter (laughs) can we please name the last episode all of the butt ropes (laughs) (laughs) the end (laughs) question mark Oh, we need a shirt that says all of the butt ropes with a little spider yeah. on it dangling from a string. From his butt. <laughs> or like a, a, a spider boy. Just hanging there with like spider a red butt rope. And maybe it's like one of those shirts where as you move, like it, the thing moves and it's yeah. just spinning in a circle. Or one of those glitter shirts where you like do this, but on the front, oh, it's just yeah. a picture of Spider-Man. But when you do this, it just says butt rope. Yeah. <laughs> oh, genius. One day. Yeah. When we have merch, we're going to have the best merch. <laughs> yeah. A 1978 FBI report stated that Nichols was a professional con man. He'd been licensed to manufacture the G77 submachine gun and claimed to have spent three years in Switzerland to learn the intricacies of intelligent agency high finance. He was considered armed and dangerous. Mm-hmm. So. Before we wrap up, potential ties to your case. Okay. I noted this. It's a little different, but it's somewhat related. So Theodore A. Schendel, who is a former Buffalo cop, which Buffalo is New York. Yes. Spoke with Danny at a hotel a few days at the hotel a few days before his death. He claims Danny was there to meet a source. Danny inspired Schendel to write a nonfiction book regarding secrets and sabotage. So I think Schendel like went to school for English, but became a cop. Okay. The book is called A Texas Connection and was published in 1993 by University Editions and it deals with the cartel. University Editions. UA. Hey. We just need a B in front of that. Oh. UA. I don't think it's that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, it's literally I like. solved it. <laughs> literally like, but it might be because listen. I cannot find proof that this book ever existed. I cannot find one book listed under university. I can find one book listed under university editions and it was not this one. And I couldn't access that either. Like Mm. they don't exist. Yeah. Like I found things that linked to his book and then the book wasn't, it was like, no, this isn't, we don't have it. Yeah. Chanel claimed that this was also a part of Danny's investigation, money laundering. Yeah. Which is where it ah. ties into yours. Shundle focused on Texas, obviously, because of his book. But if Danny, his book, which yeah. doesn't exist, but if Danny was interested in money laundering and looking towards the cartels in the South, then why not go to Tucson, where the strange death of Charles Chuck Morgan took place? Mm-hmm. And he supposedly had contact with Don Devereaux, who is the reporter in Tucson that you talk about in your episode. That, like, the guy right. Died. They were going to pass around information. Mm-hmm. But Danny was murdered. Right. So they never did. Hmm. Theories. Do you think Danny was right and had proof of the octopus? 
Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yes. If he wasn't, where would his shit be now? And why cover it up? Why the big, you want to look suspicious? You look suspicious doing this. If it wasn't real, you wouldn't risk exactly. the conspiracy theory. Unless exactly. you're trying to hide something bigger in plain sight. Right. Was it just shoddy police work? The FBI states that the Martinsburg police were uncooperative, but if they weren't involved in the investigation, well, why the fuck do you give a shit? Right. <laughs> Was Nichols involved? Was Kuehler? Could it have been a cartel? I don't think it seemed like a professional hit, though, because it was a little sloppy. Yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I don't think, I think that it was not a suicide. Like, all signs point to it wasn't a suicide, Mm -hmm. Um, especially with, like, the cleanup investigation and whatnot. And if Henry Lee, well. I think someone tied to the circle, whether it was a contractor or the government, made this happen. Yeah. So there was like a, a article about the triple the triple murder. Yeah. Out here. And um it was like they were trying to tie a hitman to it. And the hitman right. had killed someone, I think, in that area. Um could it be the same hitman? With a thirty-eight like, with a thirty-eight what if, caliber. What if the government was that someone's gun? Like, was it someone that died? Did they own a thirty-eight caliber and it was their own gun? Because that's what happened to Chuck Morgan. So maybe this guy was like, okay, f- he finds something that this person did purchase or this person owns. And that's like how he's killing these people. Yeah. Like maybe Danny did purchase razor bra- blades, you know? Right. Um, because that's okay. If you have a safety, Franz has a safety razor and we have individual blades that are wrapped right. in little envelopes. Yeah. In a package, because that's how they come. And you replace so, the blade. Maybe he, that's the only thing he could find in the room. Right. It's like overkill, though. Yeah. And the plastic bag. So, like, according to Henry Lee, I have mixed thoughts about Henry Lee because he is very cute, but because he's like kind of old now. Yeah. But like, I get he follows the money. Yeah. <laughs> like, he does such big cases, but he's also like world renowned. So mm-hmm. I get why he does big cases, but it also sketches me out that he does big cases. So I don't I mean, really... he's also like, yeah, paid to do these cases. And also like his whole testimony with the suitcase or whatever, not the suitcase, the staircase. Yeah. I think he's guilty as fuck. But like Henry Lee was like, this is the blood splatter. And I'm like, that does make sense since the other guy sucks. Didn't you make sense? Right. <laughs> so like it still makes me go out. You're just falling, you're just doing what the money's paying you to do. Like, what are you, Henry? What are you doing? Yeah. Or, so I don't know. I have mixed thoughts about him, but him saying that, like, yes, it is a suicide, and then him going, Well, you guys hid this information. So now I'm taking my conclusion back. Right. I think says a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So the BUA report has been proven to be inconsistent with evidence of more than half of the FBI agents that looked into Danny's death. Like I said, although they claimed that they couldn't look into it because it wasn't their jurisdiction, question the claim of suicide, which if you judged a case that way against the Bureau's views, your career could come into question. So it was yeah. like risky to say those things. The FBI was caught in a lie between them and Congress regarding Danny's death. Where are his missing papers in his briefcase? If Henry Lee feels as though it's not a suicide, should we agree? It should at least be reopened and looked at as a homicide. Yep. Where are the FBI files regarding Danny? Lost? Sealed? Sealed. Tesla's boxes. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Any last thoughts? Uh, No. If you... Oh. No, I don't. Okay. (laughs) If you or someone in your family has any information, or if you'd like to share your own theories, please feel free to email us at mrreticle at gmail.com. Follow us at Mr. Reticle on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have a solved series on TikTok that you should like look up. That's yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we do solve stuff, which we're never going to cover here. Yeah. 
If you want some some stuff with endings, <laughs> check it out. Don't play with strangers. And don't trust your government. The fact that three-fifths of an octopus's neurons are not in their brain, but in their arms, suggests that each arm has a mind of its own. Cy Montgomery. so much spit so much <laughs> i mean that dentist the sucker the, like, oh the yeah nurse, the suction thing the vacuum yeah like the live vacuum <laughs> you know, i hate when it like grabs your cheek and it like uh-huh <laughs> and sucks all the dead skin off of it Ew, stop <laughs> <laughs> they put new heads on it right <laughs> no do they? I think it's they just do. a quick rinse. No. <laughs> I'm no. Sure they do. <laughs>